Lesson 2 for July 5 to 11, The Sun, Sabbath afternoon, July 5. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And your word explains to us who you are. And as we study about the Son this week, Jesus Christ, we pray that our understanding may be clear, that it may be for us a discerning of who he is and how it all fits together. We pray that you'll bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Let's read that again, Mark 10.45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. After more than two years of public ministry, Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? That's Matthew 16:13. It was not difficult for them to report what they had heard people saying about Jesus. More challenging, however, was Jesus' next question. In verse 15, But who do you say that I am? Now it became a personal issue. Jesus did not ask their opinions about his external appearance or about his character traits. His question instead went to the essence of Jesus' very being. It required the disciples to express their individual conviction and faith. Sooner or later, everyone has to answer this same question. Each has to decide individually who Jesus is. It doesn't help to repeat what other people say or believe. The answer must be genuinely our own personal belief. And of course, on that answer, the destiny of every human being hangs. This week, we'll seek the answer on the basis of what Jesus himself said and did. Our aim will be to arrive by faith at the same response Peter gave in verse 16. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Sunday, July 6, The Son of Man This title, The Son of Man, was Jesus' favourite designation for himself. He referred to himself as Son of Man more than 80 times. Other people never addressed him that way. He, of course, selected this special designation for himself with a purpose in mind. This idiomatic expression was common in the Old Testament, with just one exception, it always referred to a human. Thus, Jesus used it in order to emphasize his humanity. Scripture presents Jesus as a true human being. He was born as a baby, grew up as a child, increasing in wisdom and in stature, as we read in Luke 2, verse 40 and 52, and had sisters and brothers, Matthew 13, 55 and 56. He ate, Matthew 9, 11, slept, Luke 8, 23, was tired, John 4, 6, and suffered hunger and thirst, Matthew 4, 2, and John 19, 28. He also experienced sorrow and distress in Matthew 26, 37. 
To the casual observer, Jesus seemed to be a common man who walked among the people as one of the multitude. Many of his contemporaries did not recognize in him anything more than a man. John 7.46 People treated him as one of them. They laughed at him in Luke 8.53. They criticized him in Matthew 11.19. Even mocked and beat him in Luke 22.63. To them, he was just another human being. Unfortunately, they failed to perceive that there is more to be found in this title. According to Daniel seven thirteen and 14, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven to the Ancient of Days and reserved eternal dominion, glory and a kingdom. The Jews identified this Son of Man with the Messiah. So when Jesus used this title, he was revealing in a half-concealed way that he was also the promised Messiah, the incarnate Christ. Question. Read Matthew twenty four thirty, twenty five thirty one, and twenty six sixty four. What elements in Jesus' words recorded in these verses are reminiscent of Daniel seven, thirteen, and fourteen? First of all, we'll look at Daniel seven, thirteen, and fourteen. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. So let's look at these verses. Matthew 24, verse 30. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And Matthew twenty-five thirty-one, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. And Matthew twenty-six sixty-four, Jesus said to him, It is as you said, Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. So to finish the day, why is it so important for us to know that Jesus was fully human? What implications does his full humanity have for our salvation? What implications does it have for our daily lives, especially in our battles with temptation and sin? Monday, July 7. The Son of God. The title Son of God was used not only by Gabriel in Luke one thirty-five, but also by several people when addressing Jesus. We'll look at some of these texts, Luke one thirty-five, And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. And Matthew chapter 14 and verse 33. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. 
and Mark 15.39, so when the centurion, who stood opposite him, saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. And John 1.49, Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. And John 11.27, She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. He accepted that title, but was very careful not to apply it directly to himself, lest he be stoned to death. Nevertheless, the Bible does reveal in different ways his special relationship with the Father. The Father acknowledged Jesus as his Son at his baptism in Matthew 3.17, And suddenly a voice came from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And the same as at the Transfiguration in Matthew 17 and verse 5. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Question. What do the following texts reveal about the perfect unity of the Father and the Son. Matthew 11:27. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. And John chapter 3, verse 35. The Father loves the Son, and has given all things into his hand. And John 5:17. But Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. And John 10.30 I and my father are one. The complete unity of Jesus and the father includes a mutual and perfect knowledge of each other, a unity of will, purpose, and objectives. Moreover, it includes a unity of nature. The son and the father are two persons. I and my father, he said but of the same nature, are one. A fact emphasized by the neuter pronoun one. Let's compare this with 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 8. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. We have to be aware, however, that because he came to live as a man, Christ, while here, voluntarily subordinated himself to the Father. Philippians 2, verses 6 to 8. Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. And, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. This limitation was functional, but not part of his essence. Jesus subordinated himself for a special purpose, a specific goal. With this concept in mind, we can understand why Jesus said in John 5.19, The Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. And, in verse 30, Because I do not seek my own will but the will of the Father who sent me. From this functional point of view, he could say in John 14.28, My Father is greater than I. And so to finish today, Jesus was fully God and fully human. 
What does this amazing truth tell us about the close link between heaven and earth? What comfort can we draw from this close connection? Tuesday, July 8, Christ's Divine Nature, Part 1 The deity of Christ is the foundation of our faith. A human being could never be our saviour, no matter how extraordinary his life may have been. Throughout the entire New Testament, we have evidence of his divinity. We will focus on what Jesus himself taught about this subject. It was, for starters, not a simple matter for Jesus to explain who he was. His mission required him to make known that he was the Messiah, God in the flesh. However, there is no record of his saying publicly, I am God, or I am the Messiah. Had he done so, his life could have immediately been taken. Therefore, he chose to hint at his divine nature and indirectly led his hearers to know his deity. As Jesus gradually revealed his divine nature, most of his hearers understood him, but refused to accept his claim because it didn't fit with their preconceived idea of the Messiah. This is evident by their request in John 10.24. How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Unfortunately, the context shows that their question was not sincere. As we saw yesterday, Jesus made many references to his special relationship with his Father. This was one of the methods he used to reveal his deity. Many understood clearly that when he said that God was his Father, he was making himself equal with God. We read this in John 5.18. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. Question. Read Luke chapter 5, verses 17 to 26. In what powerful ways does Jesus here reveal his divinity without openly saying it? Now it happened on a certain day, as he was teaching, that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by, who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then, behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might get him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said to him, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts, which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise up and walk? but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he rose up before them, 
took up what he had been lying on and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed. And they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. It required nothing less than creative power to restore health to that decaying body, Ellen White writes in Desire of Ages, page 269 and 270, the same voice that spoke life to a man created from the dust of the earth had spoken life to the dying paralytic. Jesus claimed the divine prerogative to forgive sins. He also said that he himself will sit on the throne of his glory in Matthew 25.31 and judge all the nations, deciding the eternal destiny of each one, something that rests on God's authority alone. How much more could he have done here to reveal who he really was? And to finish today... Think about how hard-hearted some of these leaders were toward Jesus, and these men were supposed to be the spiritual guardians of the people. How can we make sure we don't become hard-hearted in our own ways as well? Wednesday, July 9, Christ's Divine Nature, Part 2 Jesus declared and demonstrated that he had the same power as the Father to overcome death. As the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. John 5.21 Only God can state, as he said in John 11.25, I am the resurrection and the life. Another clear indication of Jesus' divinity is found in his assertion to pre-existence. He came down from heaven, John 3.13, because the Father sent him in John 5.23. Then again, he reaffirmed his pre-existence in John 17.5, and now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Question. Why is John 8.58 one of Jesus' more direct and profound statements about his deity? And we'll also look at Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. John 8.58 Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Before Abraham was, I am. And Exodus 3.13 and 14, Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. In contrast with Abraham, who came into being, which is the literal meaning of the Greek word genomai, translated here as was, Jesus announced himself to be the self-existent one. He was not only there before Abraham's birth, but existed eternally. I am implies continuous existence. Furthermore, I am is the title of Yahweh himself in Exodus 3.14. 
the leaders understood unmistakably that Jesus claimed to be the I Am revealed in the burning bush. For them he was guilty of blasphemy, and therefore, John 8.59 says, they took up stones to throw at him. The Gospels show that Jesus, without showing disapproval, accepted worship from others. He knew very well that according to the Scriptures, only God deserves the adoration of humanity. For he said to Satan, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Matthew 4.10 Therefore, by accepting worship from others, he was revealing his divinity. The disciples on the sea in Matthew 14.33, the blind man healed in John 9.38, the women at Jesus' tomb in Matthew 28.9, and the disciples in Galilee in Matthew 28.17, all worshipped him openly, recognising his deity. Thomas's words to Jesus, My Lord and my God, in John 20.28, would not have been spoken by a Jew back then unless he clearly understood that he was talking to God. So to finish today, read John 20 verse 29. What are things that you have not seen yet believe in? What are the implications of your answer for the whole question of faith? John 20 verse 29. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thursday, July 10, Christ's Mission After considering who Jesus was, we are in a better position to understand what he came to do for us. Satan made accusations against God. In order to meet these accusations, Jesus came to represent the Father's character and to correct the false concept that many had developed about the Godhead. He wanted us to know God because to know Him is indispensable in order to have eternal life, as we read in John chapter 17, verse 3. And this is life eternal, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. However, we need more than knowledge to be saved. We need God to provide us a Saviour, which is precisely the meaning of the name Jesus. Yahweh is salvation, Matthew one twenty one, And she shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus described his mission in very clear terms in Luke 19.10, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. In Eden, humans lost their relationship with God, lost their holiness, lost their home, and lost eternal life. Jesus came to restore everything. He re-establishes our relationship with the Father in John 1.51. He forgives us our sin in Matthew 26.28. He gives us an example of how to live in 1 Peter 2.21. And of course, he gives us eternal life in John 3.16. Question. How did Jesus define the essence of his mission? We'll look at John 10.11 and Matthew 20 verse 28. 
First of all, John 10:11, I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And Matthew 20, verse 28, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Why did Jesus have to die? It was because he voluntarily took our place and bore the punishment of our sin. We are sinners. We read about that in Romans three ten to 12 And as such, deserve eternal death, Romans 6, 23. The price for our salvation was so high that only the life of the Son of God was enough to pay for it. As we read in Patriarchs and Prophets, page 63, The broken law of God demanded the life of the sinner. In all the universe there was but one who could, in behalf of man, satisfy its claims. Since the divine law is as sacred as God himself, only one equal with God could make atonement for its transgression. None but Christ could redeem fallen man from the curse of the law and bring him again into harmony with heaven. So, to finish today, look around at our world and the fate of us all in this world. If everything ended in the grave, what hope would we have? We would have none at all, were it not for the plan of salvation. How then can we show our gratitude to God for what he has done for us in Christ? Friday, July 11. From the book Selected Messages, Book 1, page 247, While God's Word speaks of the humanity of Christ when upon this earth, it also speaks decidedly regarding His pre-existence. The Word existed as a divine being, even as the eternal Son of God, in union and oneness with His Father. The world was made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made, John 1.3. If Christ made all things, he existed before all things. The words spoken in regard to this is so decisive that no one need be left in doubt. Christ was God essentially and in the highest sense. He was with God from all eternity, God over all, blessed forevermore. The Lord Jesus Christ, the divine Son of God, existed from eternity, a distinct person, yet one with the Father. And, from the Desire of Ages, page 530, In Christ is life, original, unborrowed, underived. He that hath the Son hath life, 1 John 5.11. The divinity of Christ is the believer's assurance of eternal life. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. 1. Demons knew and confessed that Jesus was, as it says in Mark one twenty four, the Holy One of God, and in Mark 3.11, the Son of God, and in Mark 5.7, the Son of the Most High God. See also James 2.19, which reads, You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Why is this kind of acknowledgement not enough for our salvation? How can we avoid the trap of being satisfied with a mere intellectual acceptance of Jesus? 2. When the centurion, who was standing right in front of Jesus, saw how he died, he said, 
In Mark 15.39, truly this man was the Son of God. The best place to understand Jesus is at the foot of the cross. How often do you go there? When was the last time you were there? Why don't you take a moment right now to meditate on the infinite sacrifice he made for your salvation? And three, a good number of Jesus' contemporaries rejected him because they had wrong ideas about the Messiah. Unfortunately, many people today refuse to yield their lives to Jesus because they have prejudices or a distorted concept about him. How can we help them to see Jesus as he really is? What do we have as Seventh-day Adventists in particular that could help give them a clearer view of who Jesus really is? Inside Story Our mission story this week is titled The Power of Many. Believers in Western Russia work together to win their neighbours and sometimes thieves to Jesus. They write the names of people for whom they are praying in a book at church. Then they deliver tracts or newsletters to those people during the week. One woman who owns a goat farm asked God whom to pray for, and God showed her in an unusual way. The woman noticed that her goats were disappearing. Then she found a man lifting one of her goats from its pen. She stopped him. My family is hungry, the man said. If I sell the goat, they can eat. The woman asked the man to put the goat back into its pen while she prepared food for his family. She gave him the food and some missionary tracts as well. The man's family read the tracts. The man now works as a goat herder for the Seventh-day Adventist woman, and his family worships with the Adventist congregation in town. Three sisters were praying for an apartment to rent. An old woman offered to rent them an apartment, and the sisters moved in. Then they discovered that their landlady spoke to the spirits. The sisters prayed for the woman, but they were afraid to speak to her about her alliance with the devil. Instead, they left some Bible tracts on the table where she would find them. The woman picked up the tracts and read them. One of the tracts dealt with the devil's skillful lies. While reading it, the landlady realized that her alliance was with the devil. The landlady has asked the sisters for more tracts and a book about God. Through their faithfulness in sharing their faith, the congregation has grown, but the members had no church in which to meet. The nearest church was several miles away in another town. They struggled to raise money for a church until the 13th Sabbath offering helped make their dream a reality. Today, a simple church stands in this town in western Russia, a lighthouse and a testimony to the power of many working together as one to finish God's work. Your reader this week has been Dr. Percy Harold. The lessons have been brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Remember that God is always faithful. <laughs>